We are live. Well, welcome back to To The Point. I'm Ed Mullins. I got Bill Cannon and Joe Moran, president of PBA Syracuse Police Department. As everyone knows, uh, it's another department that's under attack. Uh, law enforcement's under attack throughout the country. And, you know, Joe, you know, welcome and, and thank you for coming on. Uh, we got a lot to cover. I, I see that even though you're north of us, you're sharing a lot of the same problems that we have. Um, you know, you, you had an incident about a year ago with a police officer that was involved with a push. Uh, so I'm going to go down that path. What, what I'd like to open up with is, um, you know, we have this just past weekend here in Times Square. We had a four-year-old child shot in Times Square. You, in April, had a 11-month-old shot and I believe killed, correct? Correct. Right. All right. Uh, what's the story with that? Have there been arrests made? And why do you think all of this is happening now that with children are being shot in the streets? So the 11 year was killed uh, was essentially a drive-by shooting. An arrest was made in that case. It is still an active case. So I'm going to be somewhat sensitive with the material I share. I know the local DA is still actively working on it. Along with that, we had a horrific incident uh, pertaining to the murder of a 93-year-old uh, in an apartment complex, uh, a salt-of-the-earth woman, a world traveler, um, and that happened in a similar time frame. So those hit the city of Syracuse extremely hard. Uh, ex they're both extremely violent cases, but the manner in which the 93-year-old, I, I can't repeat on the show. Um, so my concern, gentlemen, is, is that this is, these two instances are not outliers. In my opinion, this is the new trend of violent crime. Already this year, uh, we've had seven homicides. Our homicide rate is up 75% compared to this time from last year. I, I think there are a number of factors that are leading to that. We're seeing it's a nationwide trend. Uh, in my opinion, it is the anti-police movement that is leading to this violent crime. And it's concerning. Why do you think, um, I mean, you've been on public record that you have a violent summer, violence projected ahead. I mean, it was one of your most recent statements that uh, you're predicting a lot more violence coming to the city of Syracuse. Well, what are you basing that on? Again, and, and just attributing to the national trend, I think the officers in this country, and I know here in Syracuse, feel handcuffed that we don't have the resources and tools to effectively do our job. Uh, I'm sure we might touch on it later in the show. I used to be a member of the crime reduction team. It was a, a proactive policing unit that went into the high crime areas, a try, uh, attempted to address violent crime, contacted document, uh, contact documented gang members. Uh, those were the tasks and, and objectives of the unit. And we uh, had a new chief of police enter at the end of 2018, early 2019, and that unit was disbanded. Uh, that was a hard hit to this department. That was a highly sought out unit consisting of some of the best cops in this department. Um, and it was a privilege working with the officers in that unit. And when that unit was disbanded and removed now, and, and here's, here's part of it. We were told it was because of staffing, it was staffing issues why that unit was disbanded. That's that's not the case. The unit was disbanded because it was it was hot on the press, right, generating a lot of civilian complaints. Chief's getting a lot of pressure from City Hall just for cops going out there and doing their job. So when that unit was shut down, 
that was a pretty big blow to this uh, to the department. Now we have since created a, a gun violence suppression detail, um, and the, the cops there do a really nice job. But it's a little different. Uh, the prior unit used to wear specialized uniforms, and now it's even it's difficult to find cops to even do this style of work uh, given the current environment that we're in. Nobody wants to take the risk, Ed. Nobody wants to take the risk. We, we share so many similarities in what's occurring in Syracuse and what's occurring here. You know, our anti-crime unit, plate and closure, and it's been around forever, uh, was banned by Commissioner Shea. And um, we never got a real answer as to why. I, I tend to think he did it for two reasons. One, to protect himself from having any kind of shootings uh, in plain clothes that would have become national headlines, and two would be to protect the cops. He had options with that, but there is a direct correlation between the um, disbandment of that unit and the violent increase in the city of New York. I mean, the guns are on the street, and look, we've all, and Bill, you worked homicide for years. We know that the perps know what's going on, all right? I mean, they go to University of, of Prison, Right. They share secrets with each other. So they know the tools we work. Um, you know, if you're an aggressive police officer that's out there making arrests, they will surveil your cars and know when you leave the block. Um, so they know when anti-crimes are out there, there's no plain clothes. And, and Ed, I want to interject quickly. I am getting sick and tired of the administrators and the legislators attributing to the rise of violent crime to COVID. Okay, I'm a cop. You're a cop. The reason crime is up is because cops are afraid to go out there and proactively police and do the job. That's why crime is up. All right. Well, you, know, you know, also, Joe, was, say that again. I want you to say that again because I say that every day here and it seems to be I'm the only one saying it. But go ahead. Well, you I'll know. say it with you, Ed. I'll say it with you. I, I'm sick and tired of the legislators and administrators attributing violent crime to the pandemic. You just said it. The MOPs know. They know right now that the cops have taken a backseat, their foot is off the gas. We're worried about doing the job and having the proper protections that are in place for us to go out and effectively do our job. And when we're acting within the scope of our duties, right? that's the, that's the situation that we're in. That's the reality of it. And, and that story is getting old. Every time I see a legislator in a new article say, well, you know, the rise in crime, it's because of the pandemic. People have been bottled inside. No, the mopes know. They know we're taking our foot off the gas. Okay. We're not out there proactively policing. That's the truth. That, well, and you know, another thing is with uh, qualified immunity being taken away. And in New York City, the city council voted on it. And the mayor didn't even have the balls to vote on it. He just let it become law. And cops know without qualified immunity, they can be sued so much easily, especially for a bad frisk, a bad search. And they're not willing to take that chance now. No, look, the, the elected officials are are catering to uh, a very small group of people who are getting a very large percentage of the media. But what's sad is that the silent majority is staying silent. And what they're failing to realize is that the only thing standing between them and the criminals is us. And if you continue to put all kinds of sanctions on the police. It can cost you your job, cost you your freedom, cost you, you know, your house. We will not be out there doing the job you think. And and there is right now a direct impact to what's taking place. You agree? 
Yeah, and you know, Ed, you referenced the silent majority, and a number of municipalities are participating in this across the uh, across the state. Is the Syracuse Needs Police campaign, and we are participating in that right now. We are actively distributing uh, wall posters and stickers out to the uh, the community members. We feel this is an opportunity for the community to show the support. We know that it's there, right? We know we uh, appreciate the work that we do. This is an opportunity for the silent majority to kind of have that chance to show the support by hanging a stick on their car, putting a wall poster in their business or restaurant. I uh, had a press conference a couple of weeks ago regarding the campaign. It went very well. The following day when I went into my office, my email was bombarded with requests for stickers and wall posters. My voicemail was maxed out. I don't know if you guys are Seinfeld fans. I had the cops laugh and I licked so many envelopes on my first day in the office uh, to put stickers in the mail for people. And George Costanza, when his fiance passed uh, from licking too many envelopes, uh, I couldn't even uh, taste food the rest of the day. So the support's out there. Okay, It, it does exist. This is an opportunity uh, for, the, for the community to come out and to show that support. If I had said I had so many envelopes in my office, a lunatic chief resident could be running a corruption case going on right now. Mm. Uh, Ed, I just want to play this. Uh, sure. Shot. Mohammed is accused of opening fire in a crowded Times Square Saturday afternoon, and police say he's been on the run ever since. CBS News' Andrea Klein-Thomas on outside police headquarters at Lower Manhattan. The latest on this arrest. Andrea? Oh, we learned that U.S. Marshals were able to track down Farrakhan Mohammed just outside of Jacksonville, Florida, in a McDonald's parking lot. Police say that he was inside a car with his girlfriend eating lunch, and he did not resist arrest. Now, take a look at the picture provided by the U.S. Marshals to our sister station in Jacksonville. Mohammed had changed his slightly by cutting his hair. Now, police had developed possible addresses where the 31-year-old may be headed, but they confirmed he was headed south after the car Mohammed and his girlfriend were driving and spotted in Fayetteville, North Carolina at a Walmart. Now, here at home, video shows crowds running for cover after the shots rang out in the area of 44th Street and 7th Avenue on Saturday around 5 p.m. Police was attempting to brother in Times Square during a fight over place where they say seedings Now through surveillance video and crime stopper tips, police say they were able to track Mohammed to a nearby hotel where he was spotted discarding clothing that was later recovered. Meantime, the bullet struck 43-year-old woman from Passaic, New Jersey, a 23-year-old woman visiting from Rhode Island, and a four-year-old girl all innocent bystanders. Now, Commissioner Shea made a promise to the child's parents. At the time, I had the opportunity to speak to the father, to tell tell him that we were sorry, and we would do that. Ed, the, the commonality with that is that this was a quality of life offense. These guys were selling illegal CDs. Back in the old days, they would have been arrested for you know broken window-style policing, and this shooting would have never occurred. But since broken window style policing is out the window, this guy's free to shoot shoot his own brother. Look, the the, the problem isn't just Times Square, you know. And, and I want to get into leadership a little bit. And Bill, you segued into this perfectly. Is you know, Joe, you had a council member call your predecessor a piece of shit. Um, we've just highlighted the impact of all these policies that have been put in place. 
we just heard Commissioner Shea say that I apologize to the father. Well, what did you apologize for? That your kid got shot or that you're in control of a city that's out of control? Um, you came into office in a fairly short time. You're six years on a job. Correct. Uh, you're making a pretty good impact from some of the people that I've spoken to. Uh, what happened there when this council member called your predecessor a piece of shit? What was that about? And what were the ramifications of that? Sure. Uh, that council member's son, unfortunately, was really involved in criminal activity. He had an encounter with the police where he directed his entities, I, again, cannot repeat on this show, at a couple of our members. Language so bad, practically incomprehensible. So my predecessor, uh, FOIL requested body camera uh, of the officers in that incident. And Ed, I, I find it comical because we constantly hear the terms accountability and transparency on how they have to apply to the police. But when those two terms are applied to people outside of the police, administrators, legislators, ah, then the story changes. Then we don't want those terms to apply. Okay. So immediately the response was, well, my son, you know, he's, he's a substance uh, abuser. Um, he has mental health issues. You know, the, the victim card came out. Um, and th that common counselor referred to the prior PBA president as a, as a piece of shit, as you stated, on social media. Now, Ed, what would you think would happen if I did that? Well, if I'll tell you exactly what would language happen. To one of our city counselors. I'll tell you exactly what would happen because I did that. And this department has given me administrative charges. Additionally, what they have done is the Civilian Complaint Review Board is giving me a set of charges which my First Amendment rights are now being violated. So they have a double standard when this comes down to it. And ironically, you're talking about a council member's um, you know, son in, in one of the charges, in my particular case, has to do with the mayor's daughter. And it was something that I didn't do. But the love-hate relationship, which is mostly hate-hate relationship with Mayor de Blasio, <laughs> is is his opportunity to play this game. But you know what, my my words to them, be careful what you wish for. I've been around 39 years. There's a lot of bones buried in the NYPD to which they are all part of. And I am not going to sit quietly by and allow this game to be played. We call it white shirt immunity. And, you know, we have a double standard. We, we have a chief threatened to kill a cop, you know, verbally threatened, um, and they promoted him. We've had corruption scandals happen here. And right out of one police plaza, right through the commissioner's office down to his personal bag man. And no one got touched other than the people at the bottom. So that's exactly what happens. But where I fault all of us, we don't call them out on it. I call them out on it. And it sounds like you call them out on it. Um, they need to be called out on it. They ran the same gym floors that we did. They wear the same patch that we did. And they're not in charge with blanket immunity. They're just not. I mean, we just heard Shea say, I apologize. You apologize. You're in charge of the NYPD for the first time in 25 years that there's a crime spike where it's out of control. You're the first commissioner to let this happen. 
I, I don't know about you, but I call that a failure. And this is continuing. It's frustrating, Ed, because the concept of leadership and its significance when you're running an organization is so important. I, I Again, it's just becoming tedious and old news. Even our current chief of police, you know, he constantly states, well, high crime's up everywhere. Violent crime is up everywhere. Good leaders rise to the occasion. They motivate their employees. They get them to perform at a higher level. That's what great leaders do. When people deflect the blame, put it on others. Again, I'm sick and tired of listening to it. You have 375, 400 cops in this department. Okay? Great cops. Get them excited to come to work again and go out and do the job. Most importantly, back them and stop lying. Yeah. To them. You know, yeah. like, we are not the people you could lie to. We're out there. We see this. But, you know, I find that the chiefs, you know, and the commission is, you know, they sell you a chicken and try to tell you it's a duck. They're completely lying to us <laughs> on what's going on here. And they also have the double standard. I, I miss the old days where, you know, you got the free cup of coffee and they're eating lobster and steak for free, but that was okay. Right. You know, and don't think that still doesn't go on, but there's the double standard. True. And you know, forget you know, about I just, I mentioned to you before, and I wanted to bring this guy up because I think he needs to be memorialized. And it's Councilman Daniel Drum from District 25. He's a former school teacher, of course, you know, and he called the PC... He called out the PC about overtime. He knows nothing about this policing, this guy. He's a progressive. And he, the minute someone calls it stop and frisk, I know they know nothing about policing because it's not called stop and frisk. It's called stop, question, and frisk. So we should call them on that every time they say it. He called for the closing of Rikers Island, and he wants real policing solutions. I don't think he knows what real policing is. I just wanted to mention to memorialize this moron, Daniel Drum. Yeah, look, I guess it's really an epidemic that you have council members in Syracuse that are morons. We have them here in New York City that are morons. Uh, what you're saying, Bill, is true. You know, we go to doctors because they're trained in medicine, but yet we have council members making decisions in policing when they've never rode in a car, they've never worn a uniform, they don't understand the law. Maybe they've been arrested. That might be their experience of going through <laughs> the criminal justice system, but right. nor do they sit and speak with us to ask what we think. It's what they think based on how they feel they can get elected. You know, I watched that back and forth between the commissioner and our council member today. And again, I'm embarrassed for Shea. Um, he sat there getting pissed on for no reason at all. What he should have just done was gotten up and told the council member, don't give me the overtime. When the shootings and the violence increase, you're the person that created it and walked out. That's what he should have done. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, unless you push back at these people, it's going to continue, which leads me to Joe. What did your predecessor say to the council member when he was called a piece of shit? He had, uh, was on a local radio show and, and he emphasized that he was, he was disappointed with uh, the language directed at him from the, from that counselor and, and that was essentially his response. He, he was he was disappointed. That's a pretty that's a pretty un uh, <laughs> that's pretty soft response. <laughs> you know, I, I often say that we should have our own investigators to investigate them. 
because rest assured, our civilian complaint review board, our council members, somewhere along the line, they're out having a good time on a Friday night. Somewhere they're going to be uh, crossing the line where there's criminality or they, they're picking up a hooker or a DWI. Flip the switch back on them. And we just don't do that. And well, we, let me tell you, we have the resources to do that. We just had three counselors, and I would say all three are, are, are pretty critical uh, of our members here, of the police department in general. And wouldn't you know it, uh, they were involved in an incident, not that they were criminals, they were you know potential victims, I, I guess you could say. Um, they called the police. They called us for our service. Okay? They were given preferential treatment. And I'm not going to get into the specifics just yet uh, regarding that, uh, but I, I look forward to addressing that uh, down the road on our, our social media accounts when the time is right. Those who are most critical still need the police, and they know it. You know what I tell many people, Joe? The, the gang members, when they're shot, they call the police. They don't <laughs> want to die. They don't want to die. They want to get an ambulance. They want to get to the hospital. You know, And we see that all the time. Criminals call the police. We've all locked up burglars that got trapped in some place who had to call the police because they didn't want to stay stuck somewhere, you know, behind some wall. And they've called the police. We've all seen it. But this this mantra of what's going back and forth where the police are the bad guys, we really need is the public to get out in front. And maybe the shooting in Times Square is going to open the eyes. But what's sad is that in the poor communities, the color communities, where there's people of color, the violence has been going on for over a year. And it didn't get the headlines that we're getting here in, in Times Square. And, and I blame the mayor and the commissioner and all the people that are in charge for allowing that to happen because they should be addressing this and pushing back. Does a 17-year-old young black male in, in Brownsville, Brooklyn, does his life not count? Yeah, okay, maybe he's a gangbanger, and that's how we look at it. But what about his mom? What about his family? You know, and our job is to try to protect life. But we allow it because we don't tell these council members that they're wrong. And, and instead, we become part of the problem. When I say we, I'm talking about the brass. But, you know, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And, and we are becoming part of the problem by allowing this to continue. I think that you're right. We definitely have to hit back at the politicians and because they're saying un untruths and they're being unchallenged. And that just lets it fester and get even worse. You know, remember during when COVID first began, that one Department of Health uh, person said she didn't give a damn about the police in regards to the ass about the police. Yes. I called her a bitch. And that's what I got charges for. And I just recently found out that she was about to be fired by Mayor de Blasio until I made the statement calling her a bitch. He wouldn't fire her because he didn't want to give me credit for the firing. So he waited a little bit, and then she resigned. I, I just found that out recently that that's what took place. So she obviously was unfit for her job, um, although coming from de Blasio, you have to question that. You know, Bill, you touched on uh, untruths, and it made me think of something. So we have a, a counselor by the name of Ronnie White, at-large counselor, 
And uh, I recently gave that press conference that I, I brought up earlier, the Syracuse Needs Police Campaign. I talked about a number of components in the legal justice system that are, are hampering our ability to do our job, bail reform, legalization of marijuana, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, locally, we also have new legislation called Right to Know. And Mr. White was the one who wrote it up uh, on behalf of the city. So shortly after my press conference, we have a, a, a budget hearing meeting, probably about 20, 30 people. And during the meeting, he said to, to the entire group that the PBA president seemed to suggest specifically the right to know legislation was hampering him and his uh, officer's ability to do the job. Gentlemen, I never brought up right to know one time in my press conference, not one time. And here he is in a budget hearing stating uh, that I suggested it specifically right to know who's holding him accountable. Well, they don't hold him accountable. It goes to what you said earlier. And, and one of our hopes is that by doing a show like this, where we name them and we expose them and it, some news media out there may pick up on it. And, and, and you know what, Ed, I put some thought into it and I, I later sent him an email. I told Mr. White, you misquoted me in that hearing. You think I got a response back? No, of course not. Nope. No. Well, you know what was, uh, was amazing? After this weekend, all of a sudden, two mayoral candidates gave a shit about crime. Before I that, they it. didn't even mention crime. You Eric Adams all of a sudden became a crime fighter. And all of a sudden, Wang, who was talking to fund the police a few weeks ago, now he's a crime fighter. You know? Well, I, I got to be honest. Yeah, you know, Yang uh, did nothing for the police. Eric Adams, um, you know, not not a friend, but definitely a cop. I mean, we know he was a cop. And his statement in that, I think he smacked Yang pretty good, that Yang came out and all of a sudden uh, there's a, a crime wave because you live in the area and it's Times Square. Adams made a statement about shootings going throughout the city of New York affecting people of color. He's the only one that actually has made that statement where everyone else has sat back quietly and have said nothing. We've had four and six shootings so far this year and homicides are skyrocketing. So, and, and they're not all in Times Square. We had two in Times Square area, but you know, this was typical to get politicians to run up there. Um, and, and this is where they need to be called out. I agree with both of you on this, but um, you know, I, I just wanted to be fair on that one because Yang, He's protested. He's marched. He's done everything against the police, and and it's just ridiculous what's occurring. And well, I think it's we just amazing that all of a sudden they became crime fighters. All of a sudden they're concerned with crime when a month ago they didn't even mention crime. I, I think what's happening, Bill, is crime is becoming so out of control in a city, and we have a mayor that doesn't care. I don't know if you saw one of his tweets recently. Um, you know, uh, he, he takes a, he, he's in the Empire State Building and he makes a comment about looking at the greatest city in the world. And he's actually looking west at the city of Newark. I mean, with the Freedom Tower in the south. I mean, so let's look at the stupidity of what we have run in the city. And now with all the violence and everything going on, he's got himself riding a bike with his thumb in the air that if you're for New York, he, he's riding a bike, you know, put your thumb up like Maybe you should take your thumb out of your ass and start dealing with <laughs> the shootings of what's going on and the violence and display some leadership because there is no leadership. And, and you know, Joe, you, you nailed it on leadership. You know, you need to be accountable and responsible, but we don't have that here. And it's falling apart. And then we have leaders 
who is surrounded with yes men. You know, if you're really looking for butlers, go to one police plaza because they'll do whatever you tell them to do. (laughs) It's time to make some changes here. And I hope that the next mayor brings in an outside commissioner. I, I do. And I'm here 39 years. There's about three or four people in this job that are worthy of being police commissioner. Um, you, the rest, it's time. It's time to look elsewhere. Joe, I got to ask you about this. Is you have a coalition of 14 different groups who've been protesting police brutality since the Floyd incident. They've made nine demands on Syracuse police for reform, anywhere from demilitarization of the Syracuse police, the removal of city police from schools and all the resources are being applied. Tell us about their demands and where that stands right now. Well, you listed off a few of them, Ed. Um, one was the pass the right to know uh, legislation that I referenced earlier. They want officers removed from the schools. I'd like to see how that would work out. Cops not being in the school buildings. They address a lot of issues daily. Okay. Um, what else do we have here? Publicized the union contract information. Uh, the city did do that. There were some minor changes to our body camera policy. Um, so I would say a few of their demands were met to an extent. And even that, though, frustrating in itself. I mean, you look at these groups and the members in the groups, they're absolute haters. They're not reasonable, level-headed people that would actually come to the table and have an honest, open discussion. Members in this group, I referred to it in my press conference a couple weeks ago, painting on our police station. Again, yelling obscenities outside of the police station. I'm not going to repeat it on your show. And these people are making demands about the police. We have no idea how to do the job. They think they do. They don't know much of anything. No, again, I go back to the small amount of people Loudest in the world, Ed. They're getting the most ink with the media. And, you know, the media needs to be accountable, too. You know, you brought up, you know, being misquoted. Um, You know, we've seen a lot of stories with the media. Just just tell the truth. Leave your opinion out of it. Just tell the truth. Um, It's just having a, a real adverse impact to public safety. And they're just as much to blame as the policies that are being put in place. I mean, you, you really have to look at it like that. You agree, Bill? Oh, you know, Ed, when he, when he brought up, when I had the, the uh, press conference after the Times Square shooting, uh, Commissioner Shea tried to talk about the, um, the policies that have been forced on the police department. And the, the media acted as if they, this is the first time they ever heard it. You know, diaphragm law, qualified immunity, um, stop, question, and frisk being mo- almost curtailed. Uh, you know, all the police reform. This the media acted like it was the first time they had ever heard that. Well, that's part of the problem. With the media, should be telling the truth as to what really goes on. You know, Joe, you're talking about the schools taking the cops out. They they want to do that here. Um, let, let's talk about sending your kid to school with the possibility of being killed now. I mean, th- th- the reason we're in the schools is because of the violence that was occurring in the schools. You know, the teachers are not even able to teach. And, and our schools are really a daycare center in many ways, you know, for, for kids that are not allowed to be in the streets. So we have the cops there for two reasons, A, to keep them in school, and then to keep them safe while they're in school. 
but no one wants to talk about this. And we ignore this, you know, and then you have the UFT, which is part of the problem. Uh, You know, it's amazing how they're able to get away with no school and not going to work. I mean, they've already had the greatest part-time job in the world that they're now making it a, a, a check in the mail. And they are now against the cops being in the schools. Wait till their cars start getting broken into. Wait till they start getting assaulted. And we'll see how quickly things turn. Because they're talking about a perfect society that just doesn't exist this way. I mean, we have kids that have issues. I think we all know those boots on the ground, law enforcement officers. We knew that the rise in crime was inevitable, right? The the violent crime with all of the reforms and the policies, this was inevitably going to happen. And now it is. I have to say it's even happening faster than I anticipated. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on that? I I can't believe how quickly uh, these communities and societies are spiraling out of control. I agree with you. It's happening quickly. And one of the reasons I believe it's happening quickly is because they are passing legislation in record speed. I mean, we finally have politicians working together to pass legislation, but it's for bills that are a detriment to public safety. And we're seeing these things happen. If if the next thing they did, and there's been talk about cops not carrying firearms, if they took away all firearms and left the criminals with the firearms, I can guarantee you no one would show up to work tomorrow. I mean, you want to talk about crime, you know, selling very quickly, uh, but they've done other things that have put our personal lives at stake. It's bad enough that we go to work every day with the ability of, you know, being seriously injured or killed. But now you're taking it a step further where I could lose my house. I could be arrested for trying to do my job. We don't arrest surgeons when they lose someone on the table. We, we don't do that. Uh, unfortunately, the, when someone resists arrest and something goes wrong where they die, the cops kill them. Well, there's a common denominator in all of these cases that we're talking about, whether we agree with the way it was done or not. The common denominator is resistant arrest. Don't resist arrest. And I propose if you know the council members and the state legislators really want to make an impact, then make resistant arrest uh, a B felony. Make it a much higher charge because this way we now have a greater charge that may get them to think twice about resistant arrest. And I will guarantee you that you'll never see that happen because it would be unjust. It would not sound like reform, but they need to look at the stats. You know, and think about this. Government is the one that collects the stats. So government officials are now choosing to not believe their own stats. I mean, this is ridiculous. And who's the loser? It's not us, right? We're going to get paid and we're going to go through this career one way or another. But the real loss is the public. And we just saw that in Times Square. Okay, Tourists coming to New York, they're the victim. This is the loss of what's occurring by this silly legislation. And we just had a mayor down here commit $30 million to tourism in the city of New York a week earlier. So bring your family to New York, come visit the crossroads of New York, and we will even make sure you get to see somebody get shot or possibly shoot yourself in the city of New York. That's what's occurring. And it's okay. I I just don't get it. 
Well, you know, Ed, it also has a snowball effect with the um, economic uh, recovery of the city. Because as you know, we were contacted by a restaurant that after the shooting said they had 60, 60, 60 reservations canceled. Tell That's us about that. I know the story, but let you know, let our viewers know. Well, yeah, we got a call from a restaurant on 46th Street that said uh, that night of the shooting, the shooting happened at 5.05 p.m., he had 60 reservations cancel. You can't, they're, they're just coming back from COVID. You can't survive 60 reservations being canceled on a Saturday night. Just saying, and that was just one restaurant. Imagine all the restaurants in Times Square probably all had reservation cancellations. And then you the impact of that with, you know, the employees, the people working for tips, right? The, the salaries, paying their bills. That's money that goes back into the economy that they can't spend, that creates other jobs elsewhere. So the impact of this is tremendous. The shooting itself, I'm going to guess, will have a major impact on tourism, at least in New York for now. Um, you know, Maybe down the line with a new mayor and things change, but I'm going to guess that that's going to happen. So these are the ramifications of what's occurring. And no one seems to say anything about it. The impact, Joe, to... Crime in the economy in Syracuse, how, what's that looking like right now? I don't have the figures or the data to you know, give you an accurate comparison or, or how they're relating with one another. I mean, during the, uh, the past summer with the riots, the, you know, the, the Floyd riots, I mean, our downtown area, there, there were a number of buildings that were damaged, broken windows, and, and these entrepreneurs, you know, they they took the brunt of it and uh, it, it was sad to see and it occurred all across the country. And when is somebody going to step up to the plate, stand by the side of the cops and say, enough is enough. The one who throws the brick through the window, he's arrested. The one who's damaging property, she's arrested. But we're not hearing that. I just, I can't, I still can't get over the fact how this was permitted. This was allowed. Well, this was allowed out of fear. This was allowed out of people in leadership roles who were afraid to come out and tell the truth because they'd be labeled racist. That's what this was allowed. If you go back to the Floyd incident, what took place the day before the Floyd incident? Cops across the country were heroes because of COVID. The Floyd incident... We were all dog shit across the country. And what should have happened is our own leaders should have came out, condemned what happened, and said, that's not my city. That's what they should have done. My cops are trained. We're professional. We're this, we're that. But instead, we let it grow. And we gave it legs. And we supported these, these protests and the violence, which they call peaceful protests. Now, I don't know about you, but peaceful protests do not involve you know, Molotov cocktails, breaking and looting stores. Um, you know, Congresswoman down here said they were hungry. That's why they're breaking into stores. Stealing Hermes <laughs> bags and, and Gucci. Um, I don't know too many humans that eat designer bags, but um, AOC, that was her response to the whole thing. So we fuel this by allowing it. Now, there's another part of history where this would fuel, if you just look back, you know, appeasement does not work. But we appeased Nazi Germany to the point that it conquered Europe and killed 6 million people. So 
we are now appeasing groups of people to commit violence while tourists will be shot in Times Square, while the economy tanks, or, or while young male blacks throughout the city of New York, because that's where the stats are, it's like 90% are being murdered. That's okay, but appeasement works. It's failed leadership that created this. You know, Bill, you were talking about Times Square with the restaurant. That restaurant, we have a retired captain who lives in the city that is, he walks his dog and he now carries his firearm because he doesn't feel safe in the streets. So what must the general public feel if we have a retired NYPD captain who doesn't feel safe? You know, we have homeless all over the place. We have the mentally ill all over the place. I have on my phone probably a dozen videos of people, men on men, men, women, homeless, having sex in streets, on subway cars, uh, in Penn Station, all over the place. Do you experience the same job in, in Syracuse? Yeah, actually, uh, we have a museum uh, downtown, and I have three young boys. I, I constantly tell my wife not to take them down to the museum. Uh, it's near the, the shelter. Uh, she went against my advice. This was just a, a couple months ago. He's in the stroller with, or pushing the kids in the stroller. Uh, and there was a male urinating right, right in front of the museum, a nice museum at that. A couple weeks later, I went with the family. I come out to my vehicles. There's feces on the back of my car. So yeah, we're experiencing it too. It, it's, it's sad. And the, what's your mayor's position on any of this? I would say a lot of our problems stem around the city council more than anything. The mayor has done a couple things that I know that the members were not pleased by. Overall, he has not been unreasonable. Uh, our contract was denied uh, in early 2020. He stood by our contract uh, that would have taken us from 2018 to 2022. First time in our history here in Syracuse, our city council rejected the contract. We're currently uh, in the interest arbitration process, as you know. Um, so that's where, where we stand. So our, our mayor, uh, Mayor Ben Walsh, again, has it been an entirely unreasonable to, uh, to deal and work with. Our problems really stem around the council. They are the issue for us. Joe, I got to ask you a question that I know is troubling for a lot of the members of the NYPD. That throughout all of these protests, you know, we talk about leadership, but in the city of Syracuse, with all the protests going on, did you have any of your chiefs take a knee to the protesters? Our chief of police did not. Uh, that that was one of the issues that really. Uh, bothered our members. Our mayor did uh, take a knee on a city street uh, with some individuals and repeatedly yelled, no justice, no peace. Uh, right when I took office, I had a meeting with the mayor. Uh, and I'll just say that that was uh, one of our discussions and how that did not go over well with the members. And I explained my position. You yell, no justice, no peace. You're encouraging inappropriate behavior. What does that phrase mean? If I don't get my way, I'm going to do whatever I want. If I have to de destroy property, be a nuisance to society, um, I, I guess we agreed to disagree, but the mayor did do that. And that, um, again, that did not sit well with our members. Well, 
I guess we could top you once again. I, I would like to lose in these conversations. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> not New York. But our chief of department, Terrence Monahan, who was totally unqualified to be the chief in the first place, um, he actually took a knee. He was a uniform member in full uniform that took a knee with all the cops behind him. And the message that was sent was exactly what you described, is that here you are, the person who's supposed to be leading, and you take a knee while your cops are being hit with Molotov cocktails, bricks, assaulted, sent to the hospital. And and, and this was your suck-ass moment of your career. I, I think he'll forever be remembered for that. Uh, I, I know it sent a terrible message to the members. And certainly I can hear it from what you're saying regarding your mayor. But to have a uniform chief do that is disgraceful. You know, it, it's too bad Harry Carey still doesn't exist these days. That would have been appropriate for him. But it's it, it, it's disgusting that this is what we're dealing with right now. Bill, I know you had thoughts on this because we talked about it a while back. Feel free. No, I mean, look, it goes back to the theme of the whole – this whole thing is about decarceration. That's what this all comes back to. And the, uh, the progressives want to empty the prisons and the jails, and they're going to try to do that – in any way that they can. And the way they're doing it is bail reform, not arresting people for certain crimes. In New York City, a big thing was losing uh, turnstile jumping as a misdemeanor. That hurt us a lot because now you don't get a search incidental to lawful arrest. Thank you. That one. So all of these things have uh, have hurt the police in, in New York City, and the, the hits don't stop. Now getting rid of qualified immunity, you know, uh, releasing the disciplinary records of police officers. I mean, did they do that to, for any other profession? Joe, you just won that case, correct? That your department is not going to release some of your personnel file information. Am I correct on that? Yeah, that is correct. Uh, there was a recent ruling um, that was favorable to, to our members. Uh, the judge determined that unsubstantiated complaints should not be released. <laughs> to the public. Uh, the city of Syracuse did support us uh, in this case. And, uh, you know, the argument stemmed around when we look at the attorney and the judicial grievance process, uh, when their cases are deemed unsubstantiated, they are not released to the public. And when you read the ruling, it really stems around, you know, the, the cops should be treated like other public sector employees. Uh, even the Committee uh, on Open Government there's, there's language in here that indicates the same. And uh, I don't see people demanding uh, teachers unsubstantiated complaints being released or these other professions, as you alluded to earlier, Ed. And the number of outright lies and false allegations that are placed against the cops, and then that's going to carry their career, that information should be released. I mean, I know of cops who uh, sexual allegations complete lies, obviously unsubstantiated, that material should be released to the public. When they retire and they want to go pursue another job, they should have to answer for that. That's ridiculous. You know, the irony of this is, and, you know, one is criminal, obviously, when, when you go to trial as a defendant, your prior criminal record cannot be released. The jury doesn't get to hear that. Right. You're unable to taint the jury by letting this individual know who walks in in his nice suit, 
for this charge of assault that he's been arrested 18 times for robbery, he had six gun collars, all this other. You're not allowed to do that. But they could take a police officer's career and publicize it on allegations that are unsubstantiated, um, and even some that are substantiated in the commission of doing their job, really as a result of retaliation. And it's amazing how judges don't see through this. They're afraid and how council members are sitting back, just letting this happen. And no, no one, the, the governor, no one sits back and says, this isn't inappropriate. It's not right. Um, and they're killing police. That they're, the recruitment is having a problem across the country. Who's going to want to take the stand, Ed? Who wants to sit on the stand for an hour and have a defense attorney question you for unsubstantiated allegations uh, you know, throughout your career. I, well, the I best part of it is, though, that you can make a great column. Bill, you're in homicide, right? You bring in a guy, right. there's this great case, and you bring him in, and here we go. We got this guy's got double homicide going. And who's your key witness? The detective that made the arrest. And now they're going to discredit him on something from 10 years ago, and it has an impact to the case. We have D the DA's office here in New York that are. Uh, they have their no testify list that you may be that cop that you're just not truthful in their, their view. So you're discredited. So all your arrests mean nothing. Like, how do you get away with this? I mean, you know, Ed, I had the, um, the arresting detective on the Amit Sanguian case on police off the cuff. And he had just an incident just like that before he went to trial. He had got caught for, he copied a department pool plate. And he actually got suspended. So the whole, and I wouldn't tell the story except he told it on my show. So I figure it's free game now. But the whole first part of the trial was them interrogating him about the pool plate when this was a serial rapist and murderer that was on trial. And it became about the department pool plate. You know, I think one day it'd be great to write a book to tell everybody what really goes on, you know, and, and make all of these chiefs crumble make these da's crumble um you know they ask for money for endorsements now they don't want endorsements uh the cops are the bad guys and and mark my words this will all change the pendulum is going to swing and we will write the ship it's going to happen right? what's the time frame ed uh, I, think, I think the time frame is going to take a, a little over a year i think that it's sadly going to take something tragic that uh, you know, like a Times Square incident, right. someone of notoriety, they, they realize now the pendulum is just all over them. I think the upcoming elections in November will have an impact. The city council, some will be in, some will be out. Uh, a new mayor could help. But once the violence gets really beyond control and they realize that there's no way of bringing it back, they're going to lose the tax base in the city of New York. They're losing the city of Syracuse. It's going to happen. People, you know, Florida didn't just get people moving there because of COVID. You know, we're, we're taxed out of New York. People are leaving here. When you lose the tax base, and this is what no one gets, we want to give the people in the poor communities more programs, more money. Great. Let's do it. Who's paying for it? The people that are leaving, the people that you're punishing, and the people that you're victimizing. So keep doing it because the only ones left will become the city of Detroit. It's just a matter of time. Okay. And in until leadership comes in to change that, 
we're going to go down this slippery slope. And you know Joe as well as I do. We never worked together in a car. But if I had to sit in one of your cars tonight, I'm going to connect with the person next to me with no problem at all. We're going to look out for each other. We're going to take care of each other. We're going to get through the night together. So we will survive this. That's what's going to happen. And our checks will still be there. And our time will still count toward our retirement. But the sad part is the very same people we're trying to protect are sitting silent, allowing these lunatics to run the asylum. And, and that's the sad part of the whole thing. Why did cops sign up to do the job, right? To enforce the law. Right. That's why we're in this profession. Right. We're not in it to hand out lollipops and gumdrops. I'm not here to be Mr. Skippy. I'm here to enforce the law. But that's what they want. They want us to hand out the ice cream cones. It's not going to solve the violent crime. Every bit of reform that they talk about, you know, let's go out and, you know, we'll dance in the street. I mean, I'm so tired of watching NYPD members in uniform dancing in the streets. It's an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment. Men and women have died for that uniform. And you're dancing in the street. You're getting buckets of water thrown over you. And, Bill, you know if a bucket of water was thrown over you 20 years ago, we would have had an airstrike on that block for a over right. a month. All right? And today, you know, it's acceptable. And it's acceptable because the cops are afraid to engage because they're not getting the backing. And it, it's terrible. You know, I, I want to ask you, Joe, before we run out of time, body cams. Your members wearing body cams? Yes. Uh, patrol is outfitted with them. Body cameras are pretty well received. Uh, and I still push a, a black and white cop car from time to time. Uh, I won't leave the station without it. In my opinion, I enjoy wearing it. I think it holds the most accountable uh, more than it needs to be directed at us. Uh, so, yeah, we wear them. And, and you know, I don't find too many members who are opposed to them in this climate. And I agree with you. I, I'm for them. I think they clear us. Um, I think that our department has taken it to a whole different level where if you and I are in a car and, you know, one of us leaves it on, we tell a joke. We're now monitoring these things, looking for any kind of improper conduct that occurs. And it really is an improper They determine it to be. But more importantly, when someone makes an allegation, so let's say, for example, um, I make an allegation against you on the streets of Syracuse, and it's totally untrue. And we look at your body cam, and it just never happened. And I am completely lying. Are you able to have that individual arrested? No, and, and I can give you a firsthand experience. I had a hearing in front of our citizen review board, right? a collection of, of people who investigate officer misconduct. And uh, we are appointed an attorney. We were in a situation where the subject was absolutely lying. The attorney brought that to the CRB uh, members. W what are you going to do with this? Are, are we going to pursue uh, perjury charges against this individual? Are they going to be held accountable? And the response was, well, if we deem it unfounded, we think that will suffice. And that's that's the mindset of these people. Yeah, it, you know, it's terrible, though, it, it, that if you made a, a false police report, anyone does, right? It, it's filing a false instrument. It, it, it's, an, it's an arrest. That's right. So when I make that complaint against you, we should say, okay, give me a complaint, fill it all out. And, you know, now we're sitting here saying that, you know, Joe smacked you across the face and we played a video, it didn't happen. You're getting arrested. That's what should happen. 
you know, we want to bring integrity and transparency to what occurs, then we should be doing that. You know, and I push for that here. Uh, Ballers Bratton wouldn't go for it. And, you know, it, it's really the right thing to do that you're making complaints against us, but we're living with these unsubstantiated complaints. And it just isn't, it's not fair. It's not right that that's happening. You, you know, know, that's how special victims got a lot of complainants to stop making false sex crime reports. They started locking them up for false reports. That was their policy. You make a false report, you get arrested for filing a false report misdemeanor. Yeah, it's true, Bill. I work special victims. And, you know, I used to call it the free the innocent man unit because we were locking up complainants who were completely lying in their reports. And we would tape phone conversations and, you know, listen to what took place and total lie. And, and innocent men, and they were men at the time that were, you know, being accused, um, you know, that their lives were being destroyed on, on yeah. rape allegations. You know, it's terrible. Uh, you know, we, we we talked about your city, our city, but we left out a very important common denominator. It's the governor. Uh, you know, we have a governor that signs this legislation and he lets everything pass through. And, you know, we have a city that's under siege here in New York. You're under siege up there in Syracuse. And we, we hear nothing from the governor. You know, his argument is we need to put more cops in the subways. Are you kidding me that this is what you really believe, that we need more cops in the subway because MTA falls under your banner? Uh, maybe you want to look at the legislation that you signed with bail reform. You, you've created the revolving door of justice in New York City. It's the perfect state to come to commit crimes. I mean, we should send out advertisements to all 49 other states to let them know if you want to commit a crime, come to New York State. You're welcomed here. We release you. We will not use any kind of force to arrest you. And we may even, oh, wait, the mayor here is giving them gift cards, right? Gift cards and cell phones. So it's probably a good deal, especially during the winter months. But they get a pass on this. What's the impact of the governor to Syracuse? You know, you mentioned bail reform. I think one thing that gets overlooked a little bit uh, with that legislation, you know, we constantly think of the concept of bail. Bail. There's many other different components. Uh, so for an example, when I was pushing a black and white, I took a call over in our Eastwood neighborhood where a vagrant was inside of a store throwing items around, intoxicated. Okay, The business owner wanted him arrested. He wanted him removed. Okay. I explained to the business owner uh, and, and here in Syracuse, we would, we would lodge for that when they would get arraigned later by a judge. I can issue him a piece of paper. I can issue him an appearance ticket. I can't remove, I, you know, he comes out of the building. I give him his ticket. He's going to come right back in. And I'll never forget the look that this business owner gave me. Like I had three heads. He's talking, you can't put the guy in handcuffs and take him away. Said, no, I can't. Part of bail reform. And it has a major impact on, our, on these quality of life issues. We had a woman here in New York City, Tiffany Harris, five arrests, I'm going to say within five days, that were assaulting members of the Hasidic community. So you think about that, it's a bias crime, five times, in, out, in, out, back and forth, this was this happening. I mean, how do you justify this? And, you know, the media sells the story, but they always do it without holding anyone accountable. You know, tell the story. That's how we started the show, Ed. It applies to us. Right. doesn't apply to the others who preach it. It only applies to us. Look, we're running out of time, Bill. All you again. 
You know, Ed, I, Saturday I went to a um, party for a brand new police officer that uh, graduated from the police academy. And she was so hopeful and, you know, she comes from a police family. And I, I didn't say a word to discourage her. I hope that she has a great, great career. But I couldn't help but feel a little bit concerned for her in the climate that she's uh, becoming a police officer. And she took the job after being successful in another field. So she's no... You know, 20-year-old or 22-year-old, she's about 28, 29 years old. She knows what she's getting into. So I just want to say that I hope that anyone that takes the job at this time, I, I pray for them and I wish them the best. But uh, I And I hope, Ed, that your crystal ball that it's going to turn around in a year is correct. I hope so, too. Joe, you got anything you want to add? Ed, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, it was a pleasure, and I look forward to coming back again soon. We'll have you back again. And on the heels of what Bill just said, for every cop watching or every cop that goes to watch this, you know, you played the video of Times Square earlier, and, you know, we see the female police officer carrying a four-year-old child through the streets. And, you know, you have to look at each one of these cops in the street and, and cops across the country right now and really be proud of them. You really do. I like, I am honored to be sitting as the president of this organization because every patch out in that street right now makes me proud to be leading these men and women at the NYPD. And I don't want you to give up. I don't want you to quit. I don't want you to sit there and think that this is the end because good always wins. And we are going to win, but we need to stick together. Just like I said, Joe, if I was in your car tonight, we take care of each other. We stick together and we never give up the fight. We never give up that fight because we are going to support the men and women in the streets. That's our job as presidents. And, and we're going to utilize every opportunity to right these wrongs and protect you. That being said, God bless all of you. Stay safe out there tonight. And Joe, thank you for coming on. We'll see you all again soon. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Good night now. Good night.